Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Father, would you take the truths of your scripture? Would you open the eyes of our heart that we might see them, that we might believe them, that we might trust them, that we might live them? Father, for our good and for your glory. Father, we pray these things through your Son and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. We are talking about marriage today, and there's no more vulnerable or meaningful relationship on earth. It seems like in marriage, the highs are highs and the lows are low. Uh, that, that, that everything kind of intensifies when it comes to marriage, that in some ways, this is the, for, for some, this is the, the place of their deepest pain. For others, it's the place of their deepest joy. And sometimes that you have both on different days, right? And so marriage can be an adventure. And I think as cynical and as broken, as confused as our world is, it's interesting to me that we can't seem to get past the centrality and the importance of, of family. That, that family is still something that we keep coming back to. And as much as we try to undercut it, as much as we try to redefine it, there's something that draws us back to this place of trying to understand what the family is supposed to be and what the center of a family is, which is a husband and a wife that two have left and, uh, and, and become one and they've united together. And so, and I want to know, I want you to know if you've experienced relational hurt and, and maybe you've been a part of relationships that have fallen apart, you know that we need to talk about this because you know how difficult the marriage can sometimes be and you know how important it really is. And so I want us to lean in over the next couple of weeks as we talk about marriage. But here's where our confidence comes from. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So in the midst of trying to figure all this out, in the midst of walking through all that, man, let's run to the Lord. Let's trust that every word that God has given us proves true and that, that he will shield us if we take refuge in him and we can hide there. And so as we do, uh, last week we talked about dating. And one of the things I said was that you are not ready to date if you have not learned to find your identity, security, and value in Christ. Well, let me give you an update to that. You're also not ready to be married if you have not found your identity, your security, and uh, value in Christ. Now, some of you are thinking, well, kind of too late. Like, I'm already in. Like, you know, I already, already got there. And here's what I want you to know today. It's not too late. There's good news for you. God will meet you right where you are, and he'll begin to heal that, and he'll begin to shape you and, and show you what it means to trust him and to walk with him and to build your life around him so that you have something to offer a spouse. And so, and it's, a, it's important for us, though, I think, to look at. Life's just hard. This week, I was reminded through multiple circumstances of how difficult life is. And marriage really, really takes work. And honestly, as you get married, you just realize romance is less sexy than you think it's going to be. Like life just has these kind of ups and downs and there's twists and turns. 
and all kinds of stuff we have to do. And I think sometimes there's kind of this caricature of Christianity that's sort of this pie in the sky, by and by sort of a thing that isn't really grounded in reality. But whenever you look at the scriptures and you look at what the scriptures teach, and what I see is something that oozes real life. And when I look at the Proverbs, I see something that, and it's not sugar-coated, but it's really straightforward. But what we see in the scriptures is that when we walk in marriage in a self-focused way, that's not built on grace and truth from God, that marriage can sometimes be hard. Let me just read a, a little excerpt from a book. And I could, I could actually have written the stories of our own counseling stuff, but some of you might be going, is he talking about me? And so I'm just gonna read someone else's story of what they, they said a counseling scenario was. It says, a man in his middle 40s complained to me that his wife was cold, angry, and argumentative. I interrupted his recitation of her faults to say, it sounds as if you think that because your wife is failing you so badly, you are therefore justified in your bitter attitude toward her. The Bible, however, instructs you to love your wife, though she may be thoroughly disagreeable, to love her the way Christ loves his people. The man was incredulous. He said, wait a minute, maybe I am supposed to love her. I'm sure I should, but I need a little love and respect too. She's giving me nothing but criticism and a cold shoulder. And you tell me to love her. Who's going to meet my needs? The man said. Now, here's the interesting scenario. The counselor posed a question. He said, now, we can all predict what would have happened if we'd have brought his wife in and sat down with her and said, so how do you feel like the marriage is going? She likely would have said something very similar. But I have needs too, and I don't feel very loved in this relationship. Who's going to meet my needs for love and affection? And so you see these two that become stuck in a place where they're both fixated on their own needs, but they're neither one very happy in what's going on. The reality is we can throw Christian cliches at that, but it's not really going to change the reality of their days, is it? It's not really going to fix the problem just to go, oh, just trust the Lord. Oh, just go read your Bible. Oh, just be more faithful, pray more. It's going to take, those cliches, while true, aren't really going to reshape the life and the, the tenor and the culture of their marriage. See, what happens with many of us is we get stuck in what, uh, what, what, we call the, what we like to call the crazy cycle, um, which is just this kind of ongoing thing that says, well, you meet my needs. Well, you meet my needs. Well, you meet my needs. Well, then you meet my... And we just kind of go round and round, right? And you know how that thing works. And the problem is that you never get off the crazy cycle unless someone calls time out and says stop and starts and tries something different. The problem, though, is that you can't give what you don't possess. That if, if you have not received love if you don't have a sense of the security of a love that's stronger than you, then it's hard for you to give away something that you don't truly possess. And so if we have this love deficit in both parties and they're both trying to do everything on their own and they don't have enough love to give, then that crazy cycle is just gonna continue to run as we roll. And so you can't fully and adequately love your spouse until you know that you're fully loved and secure. And the same is true. You're spouse can't fully love and appreciate you until they know that they're fully loved and secure. Both of you need the same thing, but neither of you can give it away until you receive it from someone else. So what happens? We end up in a place of mutual hurt where there's some woundedness that's happened. There's some hurt and some pain that's been caused. And because of that, what begins to happen is that both parties begin to slide and retreat a little bit and begin to put up kind of a protective wall around themselves and just say, you know, I'm going to try to create a little bit of a buffer between me and the hurt so that I don't 
so that I, I don't succumb to, to further hurt. So we, we maneuver ourselves and our lives in a way so that we can avoid further emotional pain. And maybe that's through medicating it. Maybe that's through success. Maybe that's through work. Maybe we go find another relationship. Maybe we find something else that somehow seems to fill that gap, but we protect ourselves. And then what happens is, is both parties become protected as you become isolated. And in that isolation, we begin to retreat from one another. And we've all seen this happen, right? You, you resort into kind of life managing it on, on its own with a buffer, and you try to keep your head down and just stay out of trouble. You know what, if I just take today, just don't step in it today, then, then probably I'll get through it and I'll get to tomorrow. And the next day I do that, and you drift into what, uh, what I call the butler and maid syndrome. That you, you're two strangers living in a house, and you're managing all the business, you're paying the bills, you're getting the dishes done, but there's no connection. There, there's no love, there's no affection. It's just two people doing the business of life, but living separate lives under the same roof. And this, I think, is what we see both in, in the scriptures, the dangers that are there, but we also see it in our life, in our experience of lives. And here's what I want you to know today. If that's what you think of marriage, you're missing out on the life-giving spirit that God intended marriage to be. You're missing out on what God wants it to be. And somewhere, maybe you're hoping the Lord has something better for you, and I want you to know that he does. But it's so, we, we live in a world that's so cynical when it comes to relationships and family that I think it's good for us to remind ourselves what God's design and intention and what the beauty of it can be. So today we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 31. If you've got your Bibles or your device, turn to Proverbs chapter 31. It's one of the more famous sections out of uh, this book that really deals with the family. And we're going to really look at it and see the Bible tells us what the best soil Look, uh, best soil is like to cultivate a healthy marriage and a joyful marriage. And so we're going, to, we're going to dive in here and see what clues we can find about God's intention for marriage. I think we need to be re reminded of the beauty that God designed marriage to, to be. And so we're going to read a chunk here, starting in verse 10. Since an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, and with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that merchandise is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand on to the distaff and her hands to the, hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. 
Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Uh, This is the word of the Lord that really gives us a picture of kind of an ideal woman. It's kind of a model woman that's that's meant to be there. In fact, it's interesting that that, uh, when it says it's an excellent wife and talks about who she is, it's really talking about a woman of strength. It's talking about a strong woman and the way it begins to lay this out. Now, ladies, uh, let's just be honest. This can be intimidating, right? Like you can listen to that. And I just want you to know, like, that's all you got to do. You have to be a morning person and a night person. Like, does that person even exist? Like, I don't know anyone that's a morning person and a night person. And, uh, but I want you to understand, this is really meant to just say, this is the kind of things that a godly woman ought to be about. And it throws them out there. And it is an ideal and it is a model. Um, but, but you need to know, like, obviously, this isn't a checklist you put in and go, I need to do all these every day. I mean, you're not going to be a ship bringing food from afar and someone who's, you know, knitting and doing stuff at the spindle at the same time. Like, that's all not happening in the same day. This is just like, we're going to throw a whole bunch of stuff at you with just, man, here's good stuff that a woman who is wise does. But it can be intimidating. Look at this. This is what she's strong at. Verse 13, she works hard. Verse 14, she's creative. Verse 15, she's a morning person. 16, she's an entrepreneur. Verse 17, I mean, they didn't have CrossFit, but she's got strong arms, so she's working out or something, but she's fit. She's a night person in verse 18. Verse 19, she, she's craftsy. She's kind of, is any entrepreneur really craftsy at the same time? I mean, maybe, but I don't know who that person is, but she's kind to the poor. She's not fearful. She dresses nicely. She deals with pressure well. She makes money. She's fearless about the future. I love one version. Nan always used to quote another version that she smiles at tomorrow. She's not afraid because she she smiles at tomorrow because she's not afraid of what comes. She speaks with wisdom and instruction and she's on top of things for her family, verse 27. Ladies, don't think of this as a resume that you're supposed to build, filling each bullet point with tasks. Think of it more as this is a woman who has significant work to do in the world. And she's investing her life in the good stuff, in the important stuff, that none of this is meaningless. But all of the tasks that she puts before her day in and day out are incredibly meaningful and significant. And she's got a mission to invest her life in to do well. That's what Proverbs wants you to know, is that that your work is important that it matters, that you matter, that everything you contribute is seen and noticed and is to be praised for doing that which is good. That's the intent, I think, of Proverbs. It's interesting. She's giving herself away for her family and others. And some in our world might say that she's throwing her life away. But what we see in the scriptures is that she's not throwing it away. She's investing her life in the stuff that makes an eternal difference. It's important. Two things we all need, men and women. We need to be loved security, securely. And we need to be invested significantly. We need to have the strength of knowing that we're loved by someone we can trust, that, that that's not going to be like a foundation that washes away when the rains or the storms or the hard times come, but that we're loved securely. We also need a mission to be a part of. You know one of the ways I know we need a mission? 
Look at any magazine and it's 10 ways to do this and 42 ways to do that and eight ways to do this. And our whole world is built around this idea that you, your life matters and you wanna do it well. And here's the way you do it. And we continue to invest ourselves in these things, but we need to invest our lives in some kind of a meaningful mission and we need to be loved securely. This woman has them both. It's interesting in verse 11, it says, it says the, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. It's actually a term that means that he will have plenty of loot or plunder and the spoils of war. Meaning because she's next to him, he's going to bring home the spoils of war. This isn't a woman who's just in a castle with a staff sitting back being waited on, but she's in the mess of life, in the tough stuff of life, and she's working hard. And because she's engaged in the struggle and the battle, it says her husband's gonna reap benefit from that because of all that she's done and all that she's about. And so life's not easy, but you notice what it says, her husband trusts in her deep in his heart that he's honored to be associated with her. Now, it might be easy to be cynical here, right? Like, well, of course he trusts in her. She's perfect. Like that woman doesn't exist. She's an ideal. She's a figment. Of course he trusts in her, but that would really be to miss the point. Proverbs says elsewhere that an excellent wife is like a crown on her husband's head. Men, your wife is the most treasured thing on this planet beyond Christ. She's your most valuable treasure. But it's easy to overlook treasures sometimes, right? Any of you like the stories of people that overlook treasures and only later find out they had something incredibly valuable? Let me share a couple of those with you. Uh, they've got an Apple computer here. This is one of the original Apple computer students. You don't have any idea what this looks like, but this takes you back a long time. Uh, there was a lady that owned one of these and decided to run it by Goodwill because she wanted to clear out her house and she creates more space, dropped it off there. Um, that actually was worth 200 grand. Uh, the Goodwill's trying to find this woman going, hey, we'll split the money with you. It's ours now, but we'll give you half. They can't find her. She just dumped it, but it was of great value. Another guy, in 2014, a man was living on disability checks around $850 a month and had a hand-me-down Navajo blanket, was appraised, and turns out that blanket's worth 1.8 million. And it changed his life, that blanket that was a throwaway in his house as he was surviving check to check. Turns out it was of incredible wealth. It was a treasure he had overlooked. Another one, August 22nd, 2016, a local fisherman in the Philippines strolled into a local tourism office with a giant pearl he'd been keeping under his bed as a good luck charm. His anchor, when he threw down in the water, hit something he thought it was a rock, pulled it up. Um, this bad boy was there. That's a 75 pound pearl. Turns out it's worth about $100 million. Dude had been sleep. I, I don't know why you just want to sleep on a rock like that anyway, but it would sleeping on it kind of as a good talisman of good luck. It turns out it's worth $100 million. Uh, each of these stories, why I tell these is because the item that they possessed was overlooked by them, but an outside authority came in and established the ultimate value of the item that had been theirs all along. And guys, do not overlook the treasure that your wife is. And ladies, I want you to know there may be days when your husband overlooks you, but you need to know there's an outside authority that's the God of this universe that sees you for the treasure that you are, that sees you as you are and does not overlook you, but speaks truth and value into you. God sees that you really are the ideal treasure for your husband. And ladies, this is, where, this is why we, you need to go to God for affirmation 
to find your help, to find your strength, to find your confidence, that if you're dependent upon a guy, he's going to fall short. But ultimately, when you know that you're, that you're loved and valued by the Lord, then there can be a strength that comes in your life. It's interesting with this lady in uh, Proverbs 31, this ideal woman, the woman doesn't serve out of neediness or emptiness or she doesn't serve in order to get praise, but she's praised because she serves freely. But look with me at verse 30. We, what we see in verse 30 is a, kind of a, the foundation. This is really the, the primary verse in this chapter. It's the hinge and the foundation on which everything kind of turns. Verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's this idea of fear of the Lord. You remember, we've talked about this. In fact, when we started our series in Proverbs, we began here. And at the very first chapter in this book, it says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. The wise way in which she lives, the wise attitudes and behaviors and, and activities that this lady built, devotes herself to are grounded in her worship of the Lord. They're grounded in the fear of the Lord. They're grounded in something internal. Notice what it's saying is that her charm and her beauty, these may fade, but what's on the inside is going to, going, to, going to last. And so she's to be praised because she fears the Lord. Another verse in Proverbs, it's interesting. You see this, this idea of the fear of the Lord shows up all through the book of Proverbs. And another place where you see it is Proverbs 15. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. That she's willing to serve and honor eventually comes her way. This is the, the foundation of really her life and what she does. And it's interesting here that you notice what it says, that because of that, she's to be praised. Now, men, some of us, if we're thinking well, may be starting to connect some dots here and say, huh, you know what? Maybe I, I haven't trust, trusted and treasured my wife the way she deserves. Maybe I haven't valued her the way that I need to value her. In fact, when you think of the word husband, one commentator mentioned that husband really is connected to the English word husbandry, which is to cultivate something, that, that you're cultivating something and you're raising it up. And so just like someone who's nurturing uh, some, something beautiful and, and helping it to raise it up from the ground and to cultivate that crop, that, that a husband is to do that for his wife, that he's one who cultivates and helps draw out her beauty. Proverbs 5 says that we, we, don't just, uh, we don't just kind of walk alongside our wives, but we actually delight in them. It says, rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated with her ways. We're not meant to just put up with, get along with, be loyal to, but to enjoy, to delight in the gift that God has given you of a spouse. Guys, she's not your mother. She's not your cook. She's not your childcare. She's not your maid. She's not your cheerleader that's meant to jump up and down when you come home. She's your helpmate. She's a gift from God. And I said last week, marriage ought to be two parties that are running full speed after the Lord and they look and come together and say, hey, you know what? Why don't we run together after the Lord and continue to pursue Him? And as you do, that ultimately your goal is to run after God together and encourage each other to that end. And I think, that's what, that's what a husband needs to see his role is, partially in his wife's life, is to run alongside her, cheering her on, but helping her move in a healthy direction. One commentator said, your lifetime impact on your wife should be that her life opens up more and more as she is enabled to become all that God wants her to be. It's a picture that Proverbs 
31 gives us. Let me go back and just read the last four verses there. Proverbs um, 31, 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. It's interesting, her kids rise up, meaning they stand in her presence. They call her blessed. They honor her and, and, and the father makes sure that, that they do. You notice as the kids rise up, it says the father also. Where do the kids learn to do this? To treat their mom this way? From dad. That he rises up and he praises her. He sets the tone. He initiates. He's the one that really uh, begins this thing. It's interesting, three times in these little verses, it mentions praise, that this woman is to be praised. It's a strange thing in some ways that in a book that's all about the praise of the God of the universe, that it three times says this woman is to be praised. And yet, that's what, the, that's what Proverbs 31 calls us to do. Men, don't be so foolish as to denigrate, put down, cut down your wife. Establish a home of praise. This man's not running around looking for ways to criticize and correct. He's looking, running around looking for things that he can acknowledge and affirm. And that's the, the tenor you want to have in your home. You want to change the feel of your, of your house? Find something to praise in your wife every single day. And just watch over time how that begins to shift the feel and the tenor of your home. It's interesting, this man's not neutral or distant. Men, we're not called to be passive, uh, but, but men are called to be initiating and cultivating the excellence and confidence of their wives. It's interesting that he says, you surpass them all. Now, obviously, if this woman's so great and she surpasses them all, ladies, like, you can't, you can't surpass her. But what's the point, right? Like, if, if this one woman surpasses them all, well, I think the point here is that for this man, this woman surpasses them all. Guys, your job is to convince your wife that for you, she surpasses them all. That there's no more treasured person on this planet than the one that God has given you. And so you are to, you are to communicate to her that, that in the midst of a world full of people, that she surpasses them all for you. And then you, nulti- you nurture and cultivate that kind of love in front of her. Tell her, praise her in front of the rest of the family, embarrass her embarrass her with the things you praise. Embarrass her with the things you throw out. Uh, Not to be mean, but just be over the top. Just be silly sometimes. Throw it out there. Set the tone of your house that you're you're going to acknowledge the good that's there. Maybe even today at lunch, go home and just say, hey, we're all going to talk to mom about all the good stuff that she does. And just acknowledge those things. It's interesting though that as you think about this, Christ didn't, uh, Christ becomes our model. And guys, this is an important thing for us to acknowledge that Christ is our model uh, for how we are to love our wives. And friends, I mean, and if we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church, it's interesting that Christ didn't withhold his love for us, but he initiated even when we didn't deserve it. That he came to us while we were yet enemies and, and, and loved us. He initiated and cultivated us into a healthier relationship. But one guy said of this, that the man in, in Ephesians 5, when it says that to love your wife as Christ loved the church, has a stronger commitment to abandon self-interest than was even that given to the woman. 
Guys, when, when that gal gets old and she's sitting next to you, God willing, and you want her to look and say, man, this was a guy God gave me and he stayed with me and he walked with me and he, he, he was by my side through it all. And, and in the ups and the downs, he never left, but he was here and he encouraged me all the way. That's the thing you want when you get to the end is to know that you had a companion to walk with you through it all. It's interesting, the world, the world says that love is the feeling you get when someone appreciates you for who you are and all that you do. But you know why that's not very secure? Because if that man no longer appreciates who you are and what you do, then that love is dissipated. Christian love, though, is actually stronger than that. Christ says that, that love is stronger than that. The greater man... A greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for a friend. The Christian love isn't just based in the feelings that, you, that I might have for someone and whether I'm present in that moment or not. Christian love actually goes beyond that to a place that's way more secure and, and, and much, much stronger. In fact, 1 John 4.19 says, we love because Christ first loved us. We love because God first loved us. Because he's given love to us, we have something to give. Tim Keller talks about love economics, and I love this. He says, you can, only be, you can only afford to be generous if you have some money in the bank to give. See, unless God's filled your tank, you don't have anything to offer. If you're running on empty, there's nothing for you to, to share. But if you've been filled up, you've got something out of which to, to give. That's just why we love because he first loved us. One guy wrote this about this relationship of marriage. He says, the only way you can truly experience the deep joy of marriage is when each partner continually puts the happiness of the other ahead of your own as a response to all that God has done for you. Because you've received something so good from God, you put the happiness of the other ahead of you and you serve them. And in that you find fulfillment. And in the beauty of marriage, when both parties do that, there's a continual, not a crazy cycle, but a joy cycle. That you can get off the crazy cycle of who meets my needs and who meets my needs. But whenever we shift and turn everything around and reverse course and say, because God has met my needs, I will serve you. And the other spouse says, and I'll serve you, and I'll serve you, and I'll serve you. That cycle, instead of being a crazy cycle, becomes a joy cycle. It begins to spin in the right direction. We see this, uh, this idea also in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because Christ has loved us, that, that affects us and impacts us and compels something within us. The love of Christ controls us so that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Friends, love your spouse like Christ loved the church. And because of Christ, love your spouse for God's sake. Love your spouse for Christ's sake. That whenever it seems too hard because she doesn't look like Proverbs 31, then say, you know what? I will serve you. I will love you. I will encourage you for Jesus' sake because he first loved me. So here's where I want us to end as we think about how to apply this for the day. What would it look like for you to live with a conviction for those of you who are married that you are God's chosen instrument to be a blessing to your spouse? You're not God's chosen instrument to make sure your spouse falls in line all the time. You're not God's chosen instrument. 
Yes, sometimes you have to lovingly admonish. Yes, sometimes you might encourage them. Yes, sometimes you might quietly ask a question about, do you think this is the best thing? I'm not saying you need to affirm idiocy or crazy behavior, but your responsibility to your spouse is to love them like Christ loved the church, to sacrificially, to serve them, to give your life away for them, to continue to put their needs ahead of yours, to praise them when they've done something well, and to affirm all that you can for the sake of Christ and for the sake of your marriage. Friends, I really want to see us riding some joy cycles. Some of us need to get off the crazy cycle. The hard thing about that is that one, someone has to go first. And almost always, just from my experience in watching, um, it's not always immediately reciprocated. And so you may have to call time out and step off the crazy cycle and go to the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to allow you to be my strength. I'm going to allow you to be my security. I'm going to allow you to be the one who affirms and values me so that I have something to give. And then you wait and you pray. And for those of you that are in a tough spot, you just keep praying and you keep being faithful. And you know the whole time that even when you're not valued as you should be, as God intended, that there is an authority that's stronger than any man on this planet, that's in heaven, that made you, that knit you together, that puts you, breathed life into you, and he sees you, and he values you, and he loves you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the grace we have in Christ. Thank you, for, thank you for marriage. Thank you for the joy that it is intended to be. And Father, even in our brokenness and even in our, in our weakness, Father, would you remind us of the, the good that is there and all that you intend for us. Father, would you, would you be at work in the tough spots in people's hearts? Would you also just give us joy? Give us joy in the relationship that you intended us to have. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.